Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. The big spike in union organizing, what it could mean for the future of labor relations in America. South Carolina, the least unionized state in America. Today on the show, we hear from a vice president of that state's labor federation. Also, our independent labor voice, Tom Buffenbarger, will be joining us. Welcome to the Tuesday, February 28th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with a newcomer. Her name is April Lott. April was elected vice president of the South Carolina AFL-CIO back in 2019, then reelected two years later. And she is currently president of the American Federation of Government Employees. That would be Local 3627. She's a 32-year federal employee. And we're going to talk about her rise to union leadership. You know, this is the last day of Black History Month, and tomorrow, being March 1st, starts the beginning of Women's History Month. April kind of fits into both of those. She's going to talk about her struggle in the South and the struggle to organize union density in South Carolina is about 1.7%. Think about that, 1.7%. You contrast that with like New York. New York is around 20%. Ohio in the mid-teens, about 14 15%. California is up there. Hawaii, I believe, is the most unionized state in the country. So what are they doing about it? Well, it's, it's, it's a tough one. It's right to work. And keep in mind, former governor there, who's now trying to be the next president of the United States, Nikki Haley, once told corporate America, if you have a company that has union members, find another state. That's the attitude in South Carolina. And there's a lot of politicians that still feel that is the case. So April's going to talk about that and uh, the future in South Carolina. Later in the show, we're going to check in with Tommy Buffenbarger, former general president of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, longtime supporter of America's workforce. Now, Tommy's been retired for about seven years. And what I wanted to do on the show today was talk about how he started as a machinist. A lot had to do with his dad. His dad said, well, you know, you got to get a job. (laughs) And that's exactly what he did. And uh, Tom has often been quoted is saying that the machinist is his family, his dad, an IAM member. He got his start almost five decades ago as a journeyman tool and die maker at GE's jet engine facility in Evandale, Ohio. Rose quickly to his union ranks and made history in 1997 when he became the youngest IAM international president ever elected. Still going strong, very vocal on current issues, and uh, he's going to talk about his, uh, his time as a machinist and as general president of a very powerful union. You're talking about uh, 700,000 members strong, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. So Tom Buffenbarger, American labor leader, 
former president of the Machinist Union, will be joining us as our second guest. And now a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. In contrast to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, very dismal annual report, which was published last month. We talked about it, and it showed pretty much that union density is down. And the primary reason for that is population is up. We gained about 220,000 union brothers and sisters, but it wasn't enough to keep up with population. Now, Bloomberg Law took a look at the 2022 National Labor Relations Election Statistics Report, and there is some degree of optimism there. The report highlights that unions won more NLRB representation elections last year than in any year since 2005. More specifically, the report details that unions prevailed in 1,196 board elections in 2022, which is up from 764 the previous year. In fact, the figure exceeded the total number of union elections held in three of the past five years. These nearly 1,200 union victories yielded more than 75,000 new union members, which is more than the combined number of workers organized in 2020 and 2021. Moreover, last year's union success rate, which was 76%, is tied for the highest on record. Bloomberg Law insists if this is the start of a new trend, It could change the game for labor relations. How about that? The findings reflect the emerging reality that an overwhelming majority of contemporary American workers, exhausted from enduring decades of increasing economic inequality and experiencing precarity and exploitation it engenders, desire union representation. Bloomberg says, although it may appear unlikely that the labor movement will be able to attain transformative revitalization in the absence of comprehensive legislative reform, the spreading sense of class consciousness embodied in the recent wave of successful union elections surely constitutes a necessary precondition for any potential labor revitalization and offers reasons for some cautious degree of enthusiasm. How about that report? Pretty interesting. It's a tough struggle, but a lot of what we're seeing right now is a younger demographic, especially those between 18 and 34. This is a group that wants the PRO Act. They talk about comprehensive legislative reform. Well, you know what? If there would be a revamp of labor laws in this country, you'd see a huge difference, a huge difference in union density. No doubt about that. So hats off to uh, Bloomberg Law and those findings. One more story here before we break. The International Brotherhood of Teamsters is fighting plans by Energizer to outsource good-paying jobs after the company announced intentions to close its battery plants, two of them, in Wisconsin. Get this. The company told workers and Teamster reps it plans to offshore American manufacturing jobs and send others 
to what? A non-union facility in North Carolina. Not a surprise, right? Teamster General President Sean O'Brien personally committed the full resources and support of the Teamsters. We're talking 1.2 million members to keep the union jobs in Wisconsin. This is what he said. Energizer is putting a plan in motion to kill hundreds of good jobs here in America and offshore them in favor of even bigger profits. Some workers have been in these factories for more than 40 years. Guess what? The American public should be outraged by these plans. Our entire union is furious. And if the company thinks it's going to outsource American jobs and destroy Wisconsin communities, we've got news for them. The Teamsters are coming, and we'll stop at nothing to protect American workers. Sean O'Brien, General President of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Way to go, Sean. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, April Lott, on behalf of the American Federation of Government Employees and a vice president of the South Carolina AFL-CIO. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. You're listening to America's Workforce, and this upcoming segment is brought to you by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. Check them out online at OFT-AFT.org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's CWAD4.org. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. 
America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Make sure you get the word union in there. All right, let's go to South Carolina right now. And joining us on our live line is April Lott. April is a vice president of the South Carolina AFL-CIO. She was elected to that position in 2019, then re-elected two years later. She's also a president, president of AFGE Local 3627. And as I indicated, March is Women's History Month, so we're trying to bring as many female labor leaders to the show to talk about their rise to what they do in their union. And April is certainly one of those people. April Lott, welcome to America's Workforce. How are we doing today, sister? I'm doing well, doing well, my brother. How are you doing today? Good, good, good. So glad that you could join us here today. And I'll tell you, I talk a whole lot about South Carolina, and unfortunately (laughs) the news isn't very good because of the low union density. You have the distinction of having the lowest union density in the entire country. The the latest figures that came out was, uh, I believe, 1.7%. You contrast that with Hawaii, you're looking at like over 20%. I want to get into that a little bit later in the show. But right now, I want to talk about April Lot. How did you get involved? Let's start right there. Do you come from a union family? Talk to me about that part of your life, April. Actually, no, um, I, I don't. Uh, my father, you know, worked in, in uh, manufacturing, um, but it was not a unionized job. My mother was a, a nurse at one of the major hospitals in South Carolina Medical University for over 40 years. But no, neither one of them in, in my life, my young adult life, never said anything about labor or unions or anything. Um, I am actually a federal government employee, 32 years with the federal government, and that was my introduction to, to unions. Um, I actually started off as the health and safety rep um, and then went to chief steward, then went to executive vice president of the local and then president of the local, and then I got involved with the South Carolina AFL-CIO. I am also president of the Charleston Central Labor Council, um, and I am also have many positions with a lot of other um, organizations that says the National Council for Negro Women, the ASIL Randolph Institute, um, and there is another organization within Charleston called the Charleston Alliance for Fair Employment. So uh, just over my career as a federal employee helping the uh, workers uh, within my organization, I began to broaden out and said, you know, it's more than just my little box, my little organization. I I wanted to do something for my state. I wanted to be a voice for what was going on in my state. I am a South Carolina native, born and raised uh, in Charleston, never left, you know, and and this is home uh, for 50 soon to be 51 years. So I've been doing this a long time, and I, I love being part of the labor movement. Well, that's good. We, we need to make a difference, and I know it's a, it's a struggle in uh, South Carolina. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, 3627, that local AFGE. How many, uh, how many members there? And you, you uh, mentioned federal government. Maybe you could get some more details on, on what part of the federal government that, you're, that you cover there. 
yes, I cover my, the local covers uh, the southeast region of the Social Security Administration Hearing Office. Uh, we are the uh, level that holds the Social Security Disability Hearing. Uh, we have about 1,500, uh, well, I would say about 1,200 bargaining unit employees. Uh, within the local, I have probably about a, a third of that um, as, as members. But we cover eight states, 37 offices, um, with South Carolina being, being my home office. Um, here, uh, we've got offices in Greenville, Columbia, and Charleston. Well, that's a pretty good size local there. And I want to tell you, I've been collecting my Social Security for a couple of years. So we need people like you to make sure we keep it going and get, keep those checks coming in here. I know, you, <laughs> I know you're dealing with disability, and I'm sure there's a lot of claims there. We, uh, we talked, this was about a year ago with one of the judges that handles Social Security, you know, those disability claims and all that. And they, oh, there's a backlog there. Immigration judges, they have a backlog, and they're all unionized as well. Uh, yeah. Different different uh, union, of course. But, uh, well, that's great. Now, now the AFL-CIO, they, let, let's con- concentrate on that right now. Uh, the state of South Carolina, how are we faring here? I know it's been topsy turvy. It's it's been difficult. You had to deal with some conservative governors. We'll get into that shortly. But how are we faring right now, in your opinion, April? In my opinion, it's it's always been a struggle, um, but we are maintaining. We we are not going. We are not backing down. We are thinking of new ways to organize, revitalize mobilize uh, the workers here in South Carolina. Um, we, I, I've heard about the low union density. I've seen the numbers. But, you know, good things come in small packages sometimes. And sometimes it's the voice of a few that can make a difference. And, and that's just my outlook on it, mm-hmm. that, you know, whatever has come up against us, we have persevered. And we're going to continue, and we're going to continue to serve the working families in South Carolina. Sometimes the odds are stacked up against us, but we don't give up the fight. We're going to continue to fight. April, what kind of industries are are we trying to organize down there? I know years back there was textiles. They've pretty much gone to foreign countries and all that. But where, where do we stand right now? What needs to be done to get those workers in the unions? So, you know, uh, you know, we have big uh, auto workers um, coming into the state now. So that is one of the focuses to try to get those those plants organized. Again, it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a battle. But when what our goal is, is to educate those workers the benefit of having a union um, and how it could just make uh, life better. You know, the unions built the middle class. So we just want to make sure that workers are protected in the workplace, you know, by having a union. So auto workers definitely are our, our fast food workers getting that minimum wage and a union so that they're protected as well from unfair uh, working conditions uh, to, to low wages. You know, we want to fight for them. We are working uh, with the, the Starbucks union um, and, and spreading that as well here in the, in the state. 
Uh, there's a new union, uh, the Southern Service Workers, where, you know, we're going to try to tap into uh, not only retail, but the hotel industry as well, because, you know, South Carolina is a, a big tourist state. So those are the people, the, the workers that we want to um, make sure that we're getting this good union benefit for and that they can realize how much better things could be in the workplace. Yes, there are a lot of companies out there that, that treat their employees well, but we just want to make sure. I always say I, I look at the unions like car insurance. You, 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 you have that coverage. You may not need it, but that one time something happens that may not be your fault, you have that coverage. And, you know, that's what we just want to make sure all the employees are having the same have the same rights and are being treated fairly and, and have good good paying jobs. I like that analogy. That's good. We we want good coverage as workers. Yes, we need that coverage, especially yes, you never know who's going to take office and try to, you know, screw over your uh, your rights on the job. And so it's so important that unions take the lead on that. You you mentioned the uh, southern service workers. I'm glad you did that because I came across an article about them. In fact, I reached out to them on Facebook and we still have not connected with one of their leaders to come on the show. But it's my understanding they're trying to be affiliated or maybe they are affiliated with the Service Employees International Union. What what do you yeah. know about them right now? Maybe you could be a little more specific on on you know the services, the industries that they're they're trying to target here. Um I I can't, I don't know the specifics, but I do know that they are affiliated with SCEIU, um, mm-hmm. and um, and they that union has been very instrumental in getting them together and getting that union started. Um, but uh, I do know. Uh, the, I think the service workers, if I can remember from the meeting that we had, uh, the. Um, Rest of fast food workers, uh, again, the hotel workers, uh, retail workers, such as the Dollar General workers, um, and uh, I think Family Dollar had an issue as well with those workers. So it, it's my understanding um, that that they would encompass trying to get organ, organizing, you know, those areas. Well, it's good to know that there is some organizing going on in the, yes. the least unionized state in the country and uh, like it goes back to everything goes back to politics april you know that you had a governor there some years ago nikki haley who i know wants to be president and uh, i know this all too well because one of our longtime guests on the show is tom buffenbarger tom was a general president of the international association of machinists and aerospace workers and you may recall boeing well boeing was based in uh, seattle washington They moved their headquarters to Chicago, and then they moved one of their operations. I think this was the Dreamliner plant, Big Jet. And they they wanted to go to South Carolina. Why? Because they wanted to get away from the union. And they found Nikki Haley as a friend who I understand ended up on the board of Boeing after she left the governor's office. And she pretty much said that if you have a company – that has a union representation among its workforce, we don't want you in the state of South Carolina. April Lott, I'm sure you heard that a couple of times. I'm sure it was replayed in your mind many, many times. What was your reaction when you heard that? Um, My reaction is 
she's just one one voice uh, where we are many voices. And, un, you know, unfortunately, you know, we did our best to try to win that campaign and get Boeing organized, but we went unsuccessful. But it doesn't stop us. And um, it's unfortunate that we have leaders that make comments that would demoralize uh, the 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 worst of of a union in, here mm-hmm. in, in South Carolina, um, but you know it, it's not going to stop us. And and that that was my my one thinking. You could say what you want to say, but I'm still we're still going to fight. We're still going to we're still going to do what we can for the, the working families of South Carolina. I always say on the show, you got to keep up the fight, and that's exactly what yes, you're sir. doing. April Lott joining us on our live line today. She is a vice president of the South Carolina AFL-CIO. She's also president of Local 3627 of the American Federation of Government Employees. We'll continue the conversation right after this. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AF. GE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the U.S., US Canada, Canada, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. You're listening to America's Workforce, and this upcoming segment is brought to you by the United Labor Agency. They connect people with employment, 216-666-2185. You can find them online at ulagency.org. Buildings, bridges, skyscrapers, and more. Structures that are the face of our cities and towns were built by members of the Iron Workers Union. That's why it's important that our workforce of over 130,000 ironworkers continues to be the safest and best trained in the field. With 154 training centers, we invest over $90 million annually in safety and training. We're growing the next generation of union ironworkers. There are so many reasons to put your trust in our ironworkers and their employers. Learn more about us at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. Now, back to America's Workforce. 
Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. When you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. Let's go back and rejoin April Lott. April is a vice president of, all well, the vice president of the South Carolina AFL-CIO, also president of AFGE Local 3627, 32-year federal employee. And uh, we talked a lot about uh, the fact that uh, South Carolina is the least unionized state in the country, 1.7% union density. That's a tough challenge, but it's not stopping people like April a lot. April, you know, with this being Women's History Month, the, the month of March, we're focusing on people like yourself, and we want to talk how talk about how they rose up the union ladder. You think about this. You know, you've heard that, like, oh, it's a man's world. It's a man's world. Things have changed over the years, obviously, but there's still some challenges for women and people of color, and you fit into both of those categories. Can you kind of reflect on your time when you uh, when you got involved in the workforce? I mean, we can even go back to uh, when you were thinking of, of uh, becoming a union rep, going up the ladder and all that. There had to be all kind of things that you had to overcome. Can you speak um, to that, April? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, um, you know, starting with the federal government at the tender age of of well, I was 19. Um, I've been with uh, this uh, with Social Security since I was 21. Um, you know, things were a lot different, you know, back then. And our union leaders at that time, uh, we had some female union leaders. We had a few African-American union leaders, but not many. Um, but I always felt uh, that we had we were inclusive. Um, there was always diversity, um, and I've seen that change throughout the years. Now, being in South Carolina, yes, there there have been been challenges with my leadership. You know, um, not always respected or shown the respect um, that uh, a man w- would have been shown, um, mm-hmm. and definitely there have been situations where um, I felt personally that that my race. Uh, was the cause of of maybe some disagreements or not receiving full participation from some. But I didn't let it stop me because whether I'm white, black, male or female, um, it is all about the workers. And it's about what I'm there to fight for. It's what I'm there to advocate for. It's what I'm there to educate on. It doesn't matter as long as I stand for union. It doesn't matter because we all, at the end of the day, we we all bleed red and we all have green money in our pockets. So it, it doesn't matter what color you are as long as you have that passion, that determination, and you are looking out for the workers that's what matters. So whatever might have come my way and just feeling that maybe I'm not heard sometimes or, uh, you know, they there might have been situations where uh, I felt that there could have been a little bit more response from some um, and 
It could have been because I am female that I didn't get the response, but I still don't let it stop me. They're going to continue to hear from me and hear from me and hear from me. They're going to see me. They're going to see me be active. They're going to see me encourage them to be active. And it's going to be on them to do what is right and to do the best for the employees. So. Well, April, obviously you've learned a lot and did a lot over the years. I have to ask you, when you were younger, when you first started out and those challenges were upon you, were there times where you said, oh, man, I don't know about this. This, this, this is just too much. I don't know if I'm going to make it. On the other hand, did those challenges make you stronger? What, what's your yes. take on that? Yes, yes, uh we all get discouraged in this life with, with whether it's work, uh, family, things happen. And, and sometimes you can just, you feel like giving up. But whenever I got to that point where like, you know what, I'm, I'm just, I can't deal with this anymore. I prayed and then I shook it off. I raised my head. I stuck out my chest and I said, you know what? I'm going to fight a little bit harder. I'm going to do a little bit more. You tell me I can't do something, I'm going to show you that I can do it. And then I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. It may not be how you would want me to do it, but it's going to be to the best of my ability, and it's going to be for the benefit of those that we are serving. I like what you're saying. I like what you're Now, are you, are you this message that you're giving me here on America's Workforce, are you going out in the community? And speaking, especially to young people, and there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of organizing going on. In fact, uh, right now, uh, people, I believe it's 18 to 35, they want the PRO Act. And you know what the PRO Act is all about. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 85% would like to see the PRO Act. And you're seeing all the organizing that's going on right now, Starbucks, Amazon, young people. And some of these unions are brand new unions. So what you're telling me, are you telling those folks in South Carolina? Oh, yes, sir. I'm a, yes, sir. I'm a, we're, we're developing an organizing plan to get out within the states, and you will be seeing me. You will be seeing me out there advocating, educating, mobilizing, um, because we need to get this work done. We need to organize the South, and we can do it. We have so many young people out there that have that drive, that determination, that know the benefit of it, and, and they are out. There is a... Uh, a union at the uh, campus of uh, University of South Carolina. They are called the Campus Workers United. They uh, fall under uh, CWA, Communication Workers of America. We have young people that are, are, are ready and willing to hit the ground and to get this message out, and I'm going to be right there in the trenches with them to get the state organized. Well, it's also good to have the leadership of the American Federation of Government Employees. They're a proud sponsor here on America's Workforce. And I'll tell you, I admire your president, Everett Kelly. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure you've had some conversations with him. I know they're doing organizing like crazy across the uh, across the country. Any uh, anything you could share with us? He is a phenomenal leader. He is my mentor. Um, I've worked with Dr. Kelly for many, many years. He used to be the national um, re- uh, vice president in my district um, for uh, AFGE. So I, I, I consider him a friend, and um, he is doing big things with this with AFGE, and I follow in the footsteps of, of his leadership. 
you know, we're going to send this podcast over to him, so you might be getting a call from him because of what you just said. I just wanted to let you know, okay? Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. He's going to say, April, come to Washington. We need your help over here. <laughs> well, we actually, AFGE will be in Washington for our legislative conference, so I will be up there with my union brothers and sisters. There you go. We love that. All right, April, this is great. I appreciate the time that you spent with us. Did I leave anything out? Is there anything you would like to say to our to our nationally podcast audience here? Just keep up the fight, my brothers and sisters. Don't do not get weary in well doing. We we are going to win this. There you go. April Lott, Vice President, South Carolina AFL CIO, president of AFGE Local. 3627. You take care. Stay safe. Stay strong. And more importantly, stay in touch with us. You got a friend here in America's workforce, okay? Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in with Tom Buffenbarger, our independent labor voice, right here on America's Workforce. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll free at 1-800-443-3752. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Now... Back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. And remember this, if you like a show, please share that show. We like to count all the downloads, show that to our sponsors, so we can grow the show in 2023. 
America's Workforce, celebrating 30 years. Started in Cleveland, Ohio on the radio in 1993, and I've been the host for 25 years this July. Hard to believe. Let's go to uh, Maryland right now. Welcome a longtime supporter of the show. We call him our independent labor voice. That would be Tom Buffenbarger, former general president of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. What was it? At the end of uh, 2015, you retired from the machinist. And, and how many years as a machinist, Mr. Buffenbarger? 53 years this year, Flash. And uh, I'm working years. on catching up. My my dad had uh, 67 years in as a machinist before he uh, passed on. And uh, so in the Buffenberger family, there's a lot of years in machinist history. No doubt. That is a long, long time as a machinist. Now, now Tom, take me back to that time. Did your dad say, hey, Tommy? You're going to be a machinist. I'm sorry. It worked for me. It's going to work for you. Did, did that conversation happen? Um, actually, it was the other way around, Flash. I said to my dad when he when uh, I was in high school, he says, what do you think you want to do for a living? I said, actually, Dad, I'd like to be a machinist and a tool and die maker. He said, uh, what makes you think that? He says, well, I've watched you do it, Dad. And I see the things you can do, and I'm in awe of it, and I want to learn how to do it also. And besides, I want to take my hobby of collecting old beat-up pocket knives, and I want to make my own. And I'll learn how to do it if I get that skill. And thus, I signed up for the GE Apprenticeship Program. I tested for it, I got accepted, and I served four years as an apprentice machinist and tool and die maker at GE in Cincinnati. That's awesome. And I'm sure your dad was pretty proud of you when he decided to take that course in life, right? Yes, he, I think he was, Flash. He, uh, and then I, I think what really got him is he was very active in the machinist union. He was one of the bargainers at the national bargaining table for the machinist with General Electric Company. And when he saw I developed an interest in the union, I think that, that made him pretty proud. Now, I hope now, so. Tom, let, let's talk about that. When when you started as a tool and die maker, uh, did you think that, well, man, I, I, I need to get involved in the union. I need to make a difference. And, and I know not everybody is, is kind of wound for that kind of thing. Uh, there's some people that just want to do the job. I get that. They go home. They take care of their family. They go on with life. But there's others that get involved. Uh, did that, did that, was that kind of like a, a journey for you to become a, um, an officer of the union and ultimately a general president? It, um, flash, I got involved in my first 30 days of my apprenticeship when, um, we had the, uh, right under our contract to have a steward for the apprentices, but nobody wanted to be the steward because most of the kids like me didn't have any idea of what that was about. But I had my dad and he showed me from the time I was a little kid, what it meant to be in a union. And so I said, well, I'll do it. 
And from that moment on, I served my entire four years as a steward for the apprentices. And then I became the shop steward in the tool room at General Electric. And then I became in our hierarchy there a chief steward and a vice president of my local, the president of my district, and ultimately um, going to work as a business rep for District 34 in Cincinnati. I was elected from a ton of shops in District 34 throughout the city of Cincinnati, northern Kentucky, southeastern Indiana. And um, that's what launched me on my way. Now, there were some people around you that you truly respected along the way. And I believe one of them was uh, William Wimpasinger, who uh, who was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm sure that uh, you've got a plenty, of, plenty of stories you can share with our listeners about uh, that transition, what you learned from him and what you took. As general president, can we uh, can we reflect on that? Sure, uh, Bill Wimpersinger, I think was probably the greatest president the machinist had. I wish he had been the president at some point of the AFL CIO. He was very visionary, forward looking. He was a um, uh, finger in your eye type of guy with uh, management. But he was sharp and smart, and he knew how to negotiate. He knew how the political game was played in Washington uh, and elsewhere. He knew it was always stacked against the regular guy, and he worked to to fix that and make it fair. But the being around him as a kid, because he and my dad were friends, um, being Buckeyes, um, attending Ohio State Council machinist meetings together back when they were much younger people. Um, He just inspired people, including me, to get involved, stay involved, make the fight. If you get knocked down, get back up. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the kind of guy he was. And uh, he became the international president after serving in various capacities of the union, he became the international president July 1 in 1977, the very same day yours truly became a business agent, a full-time staffer in District 34 in Cincinnati. Um, and our careers, I was, I worked for him. I uh, loved every minute of it. And then I was put in our Cleveland office, lived in Cleveland for about seven years, which my wife and I, we had our kids there, had a house there. We we loved Cleveland, still do. And um, then I came to Washington to work for Bill Wimpersinger in uh, November of 86 and became his chief of staff, or we called him then the executive assistant, in January 1 of 1988, the 100th anniversary year of The Machinist. And uh, it, what, a, what a, uh, a journey, what a ride it's been to have worked directly with Bill Wimpersinger and then his successor, George Kirpus, who was also 
my boss as the resident vice president in those years. Uh, George went on to become the international president in 1989. And uh, it was, I got to tell you, Flash, I never, I hated, I hated to miss a day of work if I was sick or something because you would miss something. It was fun, exciting, and challenging to work for these guys who believed so deeply in the cause of trade unionism. It was it was almost like a religious experience, Flesh. That's awesome to hear, really. Now, when did you become general president? Uh, July 1 of 1997. George Kirpus retired, and and that's when our officers begin their terms, is always uh, the 1st of July uh, in the year following our big convention that we have every four years. Mm -hmm. And we are elected by general referendum. We aren't elected at a convention. Every member has the chance to vote for the international president of the machinist and all its officers. And um, so I was elected. I was um, unopposed and uh, could hit the ground running. I had a great team to work with. And most of those guys I was with um, for the better part of 18 and a half years that I was there. So you started in 1997, 10 years after that. And, Tom, we played this on our President's Day show about eight days ago. You were at a rally, and I believe it was in Washington. It was in 2007, a day of action. And apparently you were calling out George W. Bush. He did a couple of really stupid things. <laughs> but but he was not alone in our history. <laughs> and you reflected on a number of past presidents, uh, Andrew Johnson, for one, Warren Harding, and you had a quite a crowd over there. Do you remember that time, that day of I action? remember uh, that that time. Uh, it uh, Some folks said, you shouldn't have been so hard on our president. And I says, he's hard on us. He needs to have a taste of his own medicine. And I don't know what impact we might have had, but we had a large rally, was attended by so many unions that are here in the D.C. area. And uh, I want to give a shout out to the building trades unions, who our issues in um, manufacturing and in aerospace and defense may be a little different than the building trades, but they showed up in mass and uh, just supported us greatly. AFSME, uh, my friend Lee Saunders, another Buckeye, uh, mm-hmm. Jerry McAtee and Lee were all there. It was um, quite a day, but I did dish it out on the president. And uh, at the end of the day, what I cared about was our members knew we were passionate about the positions we were taking, as were all the unions. And uh, we made we made our fights, made our stands, and, uh, you know, George Bush uh, finally retired for lack of, you know, his terms were up, and we could move on. I, I miss the days when um, 
we had presidents who would have been at a rally like that, speaking yeah. to the membership. Yeah, I hear you. So you kind of miss those uh, those days at the uh, as general president. I mean, you've been retired now, and I know you're enjoying your retirement. Thankfully, because you have a darn good pension over there at the Machinist Union. So, uh, it, as far as the as far as all the stuff that happened as general president, that I know it's in the it's in the rearview mirror. But you you gotta you gotta have some great memories about that time, right? I do, and uh, I again, as I mentioned, Flash, I had a great team of vice presidents and our secretary treasurers, and I had several of them over the course of my terms. Um, they were great to work with and supportive and helped me do the job. And uh, when I think about, we built a new headquarters building. We expanded our school in Southern Maryland. It's a leadership training academy, and we teach our leadership from around the country and Canada to how to organize, bargain better and tougher, how to get involved in the community, how to educate our members back home about the importance of things like diversity. And we, I'd like to get into that because are you, we need to show that the labor movement reflects the makeup of the people who are the labor movement, the membership. Yep. And we made some strides in that in the machinists. We we were known as a, uh, you know, coming from our foundation in the railroads in 1888, uh, you know, we were older white men then, and we became maybe a little bit younger white men later on, and we had to show that, you know, a good portion of our, a growing portion of our membership was female, uh, was uh, Hispanic, certainly the African-American uh, population of our union was expanding. And so we made room, opened up the, the, the doors to the tent, as they call it, and showed people that there's room for everybody if you want to get involved and dedicate yourself to what trade unionism is all about. And that's what we want in America. Tom Buffenbarger, former general president of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, our independent labor voice, enjoying that good union pension. You take care. I'll, uh, I'll check in with you next month, okay, brother? You got it. The best to you and your listeners, Flash. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, a 20-year-long union organizer, now labor professor, and the latest from the United Labor Agency. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.